Amen. Well, what I love about this, when we just preach right after we had a morning service, is anything I say that pastor already said, you know I didn't copy. Go home and write the sermon back and copy what he said. This was pre-done. So I do appreciate our pastor. I appreciate his word this morning, what the Lord spoke. Um, it's an encouragement to come in and get the word of God and get it straight and true. Amen. And there's enough of, uh, enough of a false word out there, uh, enough for everybody else, but in here, getting the Word of God. So thankful for that. Uh, I'm going to talk tonight about a living trust. This is what we're going to talk about today. It's afternoon. If I say tonight every time, just forgive me. I only preach at night. But this afternoon, I want to talk about a living trust. Anybody ever heard of a living trust? has to do with your will. has to do with... It's an interesting... Um, when you take a look at it, there's such a huge trust that goes into this of, of faith that, that somebody is going to take care of all the assets and all the things you may have had left, whether it's very little or a lot. You're putting all of who you are and what you've accumulated in this life into the hands of somebody else or on a piece of paper, a document, and hoping that they somehow distribute that to your beneficiaries. It makes sense, everybody? I think spiritually, I think we can look at our lives as a living trust. Lord, we just thank you, God, for this time that we're together. And God, I just ask you to, to speak your word this afternoon that that you would use me, God, but that it would be your word. And, Lord, that, that our ears would be open to hear. And as we're going to read your scripture and we're going we're gonna to say some things, God, let your spirit make it alive in us and help us as a church body to grow closer. Help us individually to grow closer to you, knowing you, God, knowing your spirit and walking and living as faithful servants. I pray that this message this afternoon would help us draw closer. And, God, that your word does not return void, but it would go out and it would return to you successful and with fruit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, Dustin uh, preached on sight and talked a lot about faith and trust. And a few weeks before that, Brother Austin, literally the title of his message was, I think, Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was faith. And I've been dealing with getting closer to God in trusting Him. That's another look at faith. Is it okay if we preach some things that are kind of rudimentary this afternoon? Can we do some basic things again? Because I know even as a youth leader or whatever you would call my life in, in, in the church, and I need to go back sometimes to the basic principles of the Lord. I see the disciples of Jesus get off track and need to get back to the basic principles of following God. So how many times do we get going on in our faith and, and we're supposed to, from the foundation, grow in the Lord, but instead we leave some things on the foundation and move on into some other domain that we shouldn't be in? So I think sometimes we have to look at basic things and understand they're not just basic, they're really just simple and they are anchoring. It's, it's a simple, a rock, a foundation is a simple concept, but really important to the structure of a house you build. Jesus said the wise man builds on the rock, a foolish man on sinking sand. And in our Christian faith, sometimes we get into sand, we get into areas we shouldn't be in, and we got to draw back. So for me... This, this idea of faithfulness and staying true and trusting God has to be reminded in me, in my life. I want to share that. John 13, or Job 13. The only thing about not going home uh, in the middle of this is I don't have glasses and I wasn't able to do some bigger font. So if I misread something, just understand. Job, not John. Chapter 13. Oh, readers, thank you, Pastor. Verse 15. Oh, wow, that's good. That is so good. Whew. Rodney, you're laughing too loud. Don't get old, brother. You're going to get old. 
and youth ministry ages you fast. Okay. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. This is a very familiar setting. It's, it's, it's often quoted. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There's some things here, this Hebrew word for trust, it's a reliability. It's a belief and a hope. What I like about what Job is saying here, yes, you know, Job maybe is guilty of really defending himself. Anybody here ever get accused of something and, and get off track defending yourself? Ask Pastor Rodney if that's something I like to do a lot. There's been some times in my past he's, he's given me some insight and some things, and my default nature is defend tooth and nail my innocence. Nobody likes to be accused or even thought you were being accused of something. But oftentimes the Lord is trying to reveal something or trying to help you grow in something. And if your default nature is to defend yourself, you're going to miss what God has. Now, maybe Job is guilty of over-defending himself. It's possible. But I do love this verse because he's not just hopeful in that God is going to somehow just redeem his name in this world. He doesn't have a trust and a hope that, hey, I'll be found innocent. He literally is saying, he is my salvation. Though he slay me, though he kill me, whatever I end up in, God is my salvation. I, there is no other hope. And we sometimes go through things in life where we are down, we're just down, we're hurt. Things are tough. Money is tight. Time is tight. How many of you love, I mean, I know Brother Austin and I have talked about this. We love working long days, don't we, Brother? What's even better than that is not getting a paycheck at the end of long days. That's awesome. But you can get to a mode where you start thinking, man, everything's about this life. I'm frustrated in this world. I am, I'm having some hurt and pain right here in front of me, and that's all I can see. Job comes out of this seeing the kingdom. He literally says, with all hope and confidence, he can take my life, my salvation's in him. What a declaration of faith. I don't think it's something that I have quite learned yet. I don't really want to go through what he went through. Do you? Because I don't. I don't. So I want to get it right now. I want to understand it based on the Word of God and based on the things that God is putting in my way right now to teach me, to help me grow in my faith and my living trust of Him. In Luke 41, verse 41. Luke 41 and verse 41. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before He's going to be crucified, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Stop, stop right there. I think this is a huge example of the Lord himself in this type of faith. Now, look, we know Jesus is all God in the flesh. But, but this is where we do see an example of father-son relationship. We see Jesus in flesh displaying to us the level of faith and trust we're to have in our deepest agony, in the most difficult of circumstance. Here the Lord is going to display what to be done in agony, what to be done with your faith and your trust. What an amazing example we have in Scripture for all the different people, all the, the, the fathers of the faith and 
And, you know, the, the hall of faith Paul would talk about, and we see the Lord in this verse. And I want to come back to this towards the end, and I want to break this down more. But I want to ask you a question. What is your normal default reaction when trouble comes? Just think about it for a second. Mine has always been anger. I get mad when things get tough. If I'm out working on something outside and it's not going my way and nobody's looking, even if Sandy's looking, a tool will get thrown across that yard because I'm not happy about what's going on. Other people, they get fearful, scared. Some people just say nothing. They withdraw. There's a lot of things in life, and that's just a simple deal, but when life truly gets stressful, when life begins to pressure you, what comes out is an indication of where your heart is. The pressure cooks, and what comes out is where you're at. I think it's a great indication that the Lord has built into us so we can see in the mirror who we are. And who I am without the Lord is not pretty. Somebody say amen. When the pressure gets going, what comes out is not always holy. It's flesh. It's my default setting. So when times get tough, is my default set, is my body and mind and heart and so is all my strength set to honor him? Is it set to trust him? Or is it set to work out on my own? You see, what happens when money gets tight, what happens when some family issues arise, is I go to work. I go to work. I don't hit my knees and pray. Because my default setting is to fix it, is to make it right, is to make it work. And then when things don't go, I start asking God, why? Just like Job did to an extent. Why is this? Ha what have I done? Is there something I've done? God, how can we fix it? God, what's the formula? What do I do? Because things aren't going right in this world. Based on flesh, things aren't going the way I think they should go. And so I will react out of flesh because that's what I'm dealing with. You guys coming with me on this? It's really hard when we assign, not to, but it's hard when we assign to God all of the blessings in our life, and we should be thankful for every blessing we have. But logic says if I give God all praise and thanksgiving for every physical blessing, then I should also give God every bit of responsibility for the hardship and the curses and the problems, but that's just not true. You're going to go through things that God allows, and God's there to get you through them. Every blessing and good gift that comes down is from who? God is not tempting you. God is not trying to fail your life, but rather the things that happen in a fallen world because it rains on the just and the unjust. It's coming. Life is not the way it was intended. When God created this thing, there was no sin. There was no death. But there is sin and death all around you. There is a chaos to this life, and you're caught up in it. We just thank you, Adam and Eve, but you have things come against you. Thanks be unto God, we've got him with us on our side. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. But man, Lazarus died. Jesus rose him from the dead, and Lazarus died again. Somebody said on his gravestone, it says, Lazarus, twice dead. How would you like that? Man, not only are you going to die once, God's going to kill you twice, some people would say. There is things going to come that you just, it's not God to blame, but it's God to rely on. It's God to trust. 
It's the Lord who will help you through. It's the Lord who will teach you and will bring you through those times if you let him. But what I can't do is start blaming God because here's what happens. I, I try to figure out the formula of how I failed him. Anybody ever done that? Am I the only guy that's ever done this? A couple of years ago, I went through a really hard time in our family, very internally hard time. And Sandy and I spent an entire night fasting and praying. We just all night, we, we prayed, and we, the next day we fasted and we prayed. And I think we were up 36 hours straight. Maybe, maybe I, I probably napped an hour or two in there. but It was a really difficult couple of days. And I agonized <laughs> over what I had done wrong, looking at myself as a parent, as a provider, as a Christian. What could I have done different? Where, Lord, this is all my fault. Now let me figure out the formula. Let me figure out every bad decision I made. Let me figure out everything I did wrong. I'm never going to make those again. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, you walk faithful. A bad decision gets made. You walk faithful. It's not the end of the world. Who's for you is on your side. You'll learn from it. You'll grow from it. It's okay. God showed me this was a spiritual problem, not a physical problem. You cannot think your way out of this. You can't formulize your way out of this. This is just what happened. You're not being punished for process. Somebody needs to write that down. Because I had to write that on my heart. God is not punishing you for the process you're going through. But there is something to learn and there's something to be gained. And if we can grasp that, we're going to be part of his kingdom and not ours. That's the kingdom. That's where we grow. The Jews believed this. A person who was born with a deformity, uh, some kind of a handicap, some kind of a disease, somebody who got leprosy or was born blind or some kind of issue, somebody had to have sinned. They ascribed this very thought that here I am in this world thinking, God, I'm losing money, so therefore I must have lost faith somehow. God, I'm struggling, you know, in my marriage where in my early years, Sandy and I were struggling to get on the same page, and so what am I doing wrong? Maybe I'm not bringing her enough flowers. Maybe I'm not doing enough nice things. Maybe it's me spiritually not leading my home. The formula is not physical. It's always spirit. It is you following Jesus. It's dying on the cross yourself. What pastor said this morning, if you're not putting your flesh on the cross, then everything you do is flesh. You think it's spirit because you read the Bible. You think it's spirit because you prayed, but if you don't put down your flesh, you will try to solve every problem by the flesh. You'll use some godly wisdom to it. Lord, I'm going to seek counsel. I'm going to come up here. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek counsel, but I have not submitted my flesh to the will of God. I am in no way submitted to the Lord. We go out and walk spiritual, but inside we are flesh, trying to show something we're not. You can't solve anything that way. So the Jews believe that you're born somehow with these problems because of sin. And Jesus is going to absolutely fly in the face of this in John chapter 9. Jesus said, when they asked him, who sinned, this blind man or his parents? In John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, you can read this. I'm going to paraphrase a long chapter. Jesus has just come out of the synagogue. You guys remember the before Abraham I was comment? That just happened at the end of chapter 8. Jesus is, is speaking about before Abraham was, I am. And remember they tried to kill him? 
And it says at the very last verse of chapter 8 that he passed through the midst of them, he passed by them. You ever thought, did the Lord flee? You ever, heard, you ever read that word that he passed by or he passed in the midst, and it kind of sounds like he ran away? I don't know if everybody ever read it that way. I used to think he was avoiding conflict and he was running away. The truth is that it was not his time, and they can't touch him. It's just that's what the truth is, and I'll prove it to you because John 9, verse 1, as he passed by, he sees a blind man. Does that sound like somebody fleeing to you? That sound like somebody afraid of their life? No, no, no. The Lord's just, look, we're done here with this. We're going on. He leaves, and he, as he passes by, there's a blind man. And the disciples ask him, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? Because they believe somehow this is coming generationally. You ever read the Old Testament and you get to those verses where God says he's going to, this curse is going to be on your children, your children's children, and your children's children's children? I'm going to tell you right now, in the flesh, that is true. Anybody here ever grow up in a dysfunctional home? Anybody here have dysfunction in your home? You're trying to break those ties in your flesh? How, how is that going? And the Spirit can be done. But I've seen generational curses go on and on and on in the flesh. That's true. But in Christ, they stop. Because when you put the flesh down, the curse is down. When you lay the flesh on the cross, it's dead. And the spirit that comes to life, this is why you're a new creation. Because you're not walking after that flesh mind. You're not living in that flesh. It's crucified. It's down. It's gone. I have a new life in Christ, a new heritage, a new life. I'm not affected by that old curse. So every time I see that come out, I know where I'm at. I didn't die today. I need to die again. It's a daily death. So here Jesus is walking, and we see this, and he says this is, he's just going to absolutely crush their belief. This has nothing to do with his parents, nothing to do with him, but that the works of God may be made manifest. This man is born blind, but I'm going to show you something the Lord is saying. The works of God have opportunity now to be made manifest. This man is healed not just because he was blind, not because God cursed him from the womb, but he has faith in the Lord. The blind man has faith in Jesus. Jesus is going to heal him and break this bond, and this man is going to turn his whole heart to the Lord. The miracle is far more than a physical blinded eye opening. When you read this whole chapter, it's amazing how this man gets healed. And Jesus says, now go to the pool of shalom. Leave my presence. You're healed. Go. Wash. He put the clay in his eyes, sent him to the pool. He washes there. He's actually healed. And what I love about him is he gets up. He doesn't know where the Lord is. He doesn't know where to go back to. He doesn't know where Jesus is at. And the Jews find him and they interrogate him. And, and they're going through all these things to what has happened to you? How can you give Jesus glory for this thing? And in this interrogation, this man is going to teach them something about God. In verse 30, he's going to say, why is this a marvelous thing to you that you do not know where Jesus is from, yet he has opened my eyes? We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Jews answered and said, you're born in sins. Going back to their belief that somehow he has sinned, his parents have sinned, you are completely born in sins, and you're teaching us? They cast him out. Now, what I love, the Lord finds him. If you read this, 
you're going to find Jesus came and found him. And he asked him, do you know who the son of God is? He says, no. He said, well, the one talking to you, the one who healed you, that's me. He falls down and worships him. This whole point all comes after Jesus has declared himself to be the great I am. He has said, before Abraham was, I am. He passes through the midst of those wanting to kill him. He's not fearful. He walks right out, and he's going to break another one of their bad religious ideas. And it's all about his kingdom. This man, it's not about Jesus gaining fame and the disciples gaining some kind of a power, and now we can just heal blind eyes. It's about salvation in the Son of God. And even though this man couldn't find him, Jesus came and gave him opportunity. This man had a faith in him. When he testifies to those Jews, you don't think he's been sitting outside that, the temple, those synagogues, listening, hearing? Brother Dustin, when he preached about sight, he's talking about you've got to hear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. This man's been listening. He's been hearing the Word of God. He just hadn't encountered him yet. And when he did, his whole life changed. His whole circumstance, it changed. Because of faith and trust in this man. He trusted him. He goes before the Jews. He could easily be arrested. He just got done being blind. He could easily be hurt. In fact, his parents were fearful to testify. His parents said, talk to him. He's of age. We want anything to do with this. And he's going to stand up boldly and proclaim the gospel because he ended up putting his trust and his life into the Son of God. And the Lord does not reward him with fame and money and all these things. He rewards him with salvation. You know who the Son of God is? It's me. And he worships him. I believe this man was part of that early church. I believe he absolutely was part of those 3,000. There are so many that God met and touched, and you see their testimonies in this. God is good. God is faithful. And this man puts his trust in the Lord. It's an amazing revelation by a man who understood blindness. Anybody here ever been blinded before? Come on. Spiritually, I have been very blinded. It's a lot of things in the flesh that do a good job of covering up the spirit. They blind you to it. They deceive you. And if you stay deceived, you stay blind. If you don't literally put your flesh down, you can never see the Lord. You can't. So when the Lord made this man go to the pool and remove the clay from his eyes, I don't know if this is big, deep interpretation, but you're made out of clay. You're made out of dust. He got the flesh out of his eyes, and he was speaking nothing but spirit. This man goes right back to the Jews, and all he can do is testify of the one who saved him. There is no way this man is not from God. He had the flesh removed. He had the blindness taken off spiritually and physically. All he can do is serve Jesus. I think it's an amazing revelation. I want to look at Jesus now coming to the last day of his life. And, and believe it or not, I purposefully am trying to speak a little less time. So somebody say amen. A couple more verses and we'll be done. John 18, verse 28. <clears throat> Very familiar story. An interesting setting. I think we preached it a hundred different ways, and there's probably a hundred different more ways to preach it. John 18, verse 28. And they led Jesus from Caiaphas to Praetorium. It was early morning, but they themselves did not go in to the Praetorium. This is city hall. Lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. 
Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. But Pilate said, You take him and judge him according to your own law. But the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he would die. Pilate entered the, the city hall again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Are you speaking of yourself, or did others tell you this? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. So I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Should we make the mistake of believing that even in the smallest possible way that the kingdom is of this world, if it possibly is, you run the risk of abandoning the Lord in your actions. If you believe the kingdom, if I believe it's even remotely part of this world, I run the risk of abandoning him in my actions. Because if I take the kingdom and I make it about the money that we have here, the blessings that we have, that they're all from the Lord because I'm doing right and good. If I make it part of this. Now, understand, I'm so thankful where God has blessed me with. Come on. I'm so thankful I have a house and I've got a car. That's great. But that's not why I'm here. It's not why you're here. We're not here in this world just to gain. We're here for the kingdom. And so if I make this mistake of thinking that, that God is going to bless everyone in the same way, that the same must apply. Them end up a prosperity preacher who says everybody who loves God is going to have multiple mansions, you know, a, a Mercedes, a BMW, a Jag, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, and then some, right? It's very dangerous to begin to associate those things, to say the kingdom of God is meat and drink. If I say the kingdom is meat and drink, then I have to judge my righteousness based on that. And my righteousness is based only in the Lord. I am only made righteous because He is righteous. If I'm right with God, it's because I'm in Christ and I'm right with Christ. So to make it about this world, I run a, 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 a big risk of abandoning Him in my day-to-day -day life. So Jesus is going to say, my kingdom, it's not of this world. We see trust and faith that the Lord is going to display in the most significant, difficult times a man could ever go through. Scripture said he has emptied himself, taken on the form of a servant, and now he's going to go through the ultimate sacrifice a servant can make in the flesh and spiritually. He's going to walk this thing out. Now, I had a couple thoughts here. When we have faith in this world, like the Jews did, the Jews' kingdom is of this world. It's of this cosmos, 100%. Thought number one, don't you love how they show up to City Hall and they're too pious to enter in because it'll defile them, but they're going to serve up an innocent man to be murdered? Anybody see the hypocrisy in that? Here I am at City Hall, but we are just so holy. There's unleavened bread in there. We can't enter because you know, this is going to make us unholy, unclean. They can't be made unclean. This is a Gentile system. They can't go in, but they can deliver Christ to be murdered. They wanted him crucified. And this will fulfill Jesus' prophecy of himself saying he'd be crucified. If the Jews were to perform the, the uh, sentencing, it would be stoning. They don't crucify. It's a Gentile thing. Well, pastor said this. It's going to be done by Rome. They have to play this game. 
And so if you start running your kingdom of this world, you're going to have a spirit of murder to you. Spiritual murder at the very least. And I'm telling you right now, you have been around churches that are so self-righteous and holy, they kill every spirit of God they possibly can. So self-righteous and pious that anytime there's a true move of the Spirit of God, they will kill it. There can't be a true move. There can't be truly hearts that seek God in any other denomination, any other faith, any other way. There's nobody good enough because of their religious world, their piety, and their kingdom is of this world. I believe, number one, there's a spirit of murder to that. Second thing, they have their own court. They judge Jesus based on their own system, but they want this Roman death sentence. They want Jesus dead by somebody else's hands for the cross. They want zero accountability. You start living your life, and I've done this, by the kingdoms of this world, I don't want any accountability. You're going to see churches and religions all over this world. They're going to preach to you a gospel of zero accountability. Pastor mentioned this morning, how do you build a mega church? Well, one part, like he said, no accountability. There's no accountability for your sin, your actions. You answer to nobody. When you live after this world, you seek only to defend yourself by your own self-righteousness. I'm sorry, but I've been guilty of that. I have done this very thing thinking I'd be okay because I have a good defense because I'm not, not going to prove that I did anything wrong. I'm going to prove the opposite. We are washing our hands of this. Let somebody else carry out the sentence. If our kingdom's of this world, I believe we have a spirit of murder spiritually going to kill everything God wants to do in your life. You're, gonna, you're not just going to, it's not going to be good enough just for you, though. You're going to kill it in your family, those around you. You don't want to be held accountable, number two, to the Word of God, to anything that's right and holy. You won't listen to prophets or ministries. You will stay away from any other voice, i.e., John the Baptist out in the wilderness. They don't want to hear him. Number three. There's such a lack of trust in God that you will live a life that's fake and deceptive. The Jews show up to Pilate, and they act like they want to follow Roman law. Any of you have read the Scripture? Do the Jews like following Roman laws? No, they don't. But in this case, they say, look, we can't, we can't judge this way. We can't sentence a man to death. That's unlawful. We need Pilate to do it. Isn't that convenient? Ask the woman caught in adultery if, she, if they were going to execute her. Pretty sure they all had stones in their hand when the Lord discussed that. They're not opposed to killing themselves. But in this way, they were. We don't want any accountability on this. We want our hands clean. By the way, we're going to follow the law now. They're deceptive. They're lying. They are trying to get play a game with Pilate here. Now, I think he's smart enough to know there's a game going on. Because you see in his questioning of Jesus and his discernment of this, he doesn't want to play along, but he kind of has to. He kind of has to. If you are going to run your life and your spiritual life for the Lord is all wrapped up in this world, you will become fake, deceptive, and lying in your spirit. There's no other outcome. When your kingdom is of this world, that's how you have to live it. Lastly, they lie, they murder. They steal. Evidences of a worldly kingdom. You remember the house of God? How did they handle that with the giving? What did Jesus have to do in the temple when he came in and they were exchanging money? How was that looking? You steal. You are a glutton for money. 
When your kingdom is of this world, it doesn't matter how pious it looks, how many sacrifices you give. It does not matter if you're walking the walk and every blood sacrifice and sin sacrifice is on time in there. You clean your life up on the outside, but inside, you're a mess. Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart. When your kingdom is of this world, it's exactly what it's going to look like. It can't be any other way. So we have to shed any part of this kingdom thinking that it somehow is about this world. There are some ties that happen after the parables Jesus uses. Look, when I'm serving him, things come out right in this world. When I'm following him, there is things that look right. Your marriages stay whole. Your children go to love God. You are successful on the job. That doesn't always mean money, but you, are, you have some favor with men because you're out working a good job. You're working hard. Your families might love you. You see your kids stay intact, and, and there are times they don't. And that's not an evidence. But there are times where these things of God do come out. But if I say that's all about the kingdom only, because I live for the Lord perfectly, these things happened, then I'm wrong. Does that, does that make sense? Otherwise, I'm just going to judge everything by what I know to be true in this system in this world. And I'm no better than a Jew of this time. That's all I am. I'm one in the system and I'm thinking through it in my mind. Jesus said my servants would not take up arms and fight. Because the kingdom's not of this world. The kingdom's also not pacifism. It's not weak-willed men and women who won't stand for anything. It's not weak men who won't defend their home from an invader. It's not that. Otherwise, the disciples would have never carried a sword. But for sure, this kingdom is not militant. It is not to be one. We're not to take the gospel of Christ in military fashion and subdue or force people into it. Never should Jesus himself be delivered up into the hands of the government. It's going to be 100% spiritual defense. There's just not a place for it to be meat and drink, sword and shield, chariot and horses. Come on. But clearly there's a separation of spirit and flesh. We may not understand every part of this. I may not understand exactly how this all works out. But I'll tell you this. There's a clear distinction of flesh and spirit. And that we have to find. To know if I do defend a certain way, if I do go a certain place, we vote. We have a voice in this, in this community, in our country, state, and city. We have a voice. We should exercise that. Understand that is not tied to the kingdom. Your vote is... Because it's going to come from the Lord. It's going to come from your, your acknowledgement of Him, your life after Him. But whether certain people get voted in or not has nothing to do with the kingdom of the Lord. You're going to preach the same gospel, whether it's Nero on the throne, who's having Christians murdered, whether it's Caesar or somebody throwing Christians to the lions. You're going to preach the same gospel then as you will if it's Donald Trump who's proclaiming the church to be a holy house of God. It's the same gospel. You don't alter it. You don't change it. And so, too, in your home. But, Chris, I made a bunch of mistakes. Right. Go on in the Lord. But, but Chris, things haven't worked out the way I thought they would. That's okay. The kingdom's not about this. Well, but, Chris, I, we, we can't make our bills. Yeah. Let's, what, do you need help? Let's help one another. Let's move on. It's not because you didn't work hard enough to get the perfect job. I should have taken this position. I took that. 
oh no, I should have done this with my kids instead of that. The kingdom is not of this world. It's just not. We get in the will of God. We crucify our flesh and what we think. 100% goes into the Lord. And now something productive can come out. Because now I walk in the Spirit. Now I'm a new creation. And now what God is going to do in my life is going to be about spirit and life. And so whatever may have or may have not been mistake, God uses all things for good to those called according to His purpose. I'm saying that because it's not my purpose. My purpose is to get wealth. My purpose is to have no problems in my life. My, pur my, my purpose is to have healthy conditions, yet I eat ice cream and whatever else. I have different purposes. I want to be called according to His, and He'll work all things to good. Let's finish up. The ultimate display of faith and trust when all has come against you, Luke 41 I am so glad Jesus allows us to see him in his humanity. Aren't you? I am so glad we have a high priest that is touched by all the infirmities, all the problems and issues that we were, yet without sin. The Lord is going to put himself in the most humble position possible this last day. He washes the disciples' feet. Remember, they don't want him to wash their feet. He, lay, he lets his life be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He allows them to whip him and mock him. Every kind of torment you can think of because the kingdom is not of this world. And he's withdrawn about a stone's throw and he kneels down and prays. I find it interesting. In the last day, the apostles are going to write down that Jesus on his own is going to pray. And he asked them to pray too. You remember that? He says, can you not pray to keep falling asleep? Because their kingdom is still a little bit of this world. They're tired, you know. But the Lord's going to be on his own. I think he's showing us something. There's a humility that we've got to get before God, and it's, it's on your knees spiritually. I don't know if it's walking in the morning and just lifting your eyes to heaven or if it's on your knees by your bedside, but there is a place you have to get to in the Lord. We have to find that place, and when there's agony on the line, you get on your knees to God, and it's on your own. It's not that you don't confide in others. Jesus asked the disciples to pray with him. Pray with me. Watch, lest you fall into temptation. We're, be together with me on this. And then the Lord goes and, and he puts his life down, emptying himself. It's okay to ask God about the plan. Jesus in the next verse is going to say, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. God, I'm going through a thing, and it's really hard. God, there's some things coming down around me, and I'm not sure I can handle it on my own. This is me talking. It's okay to ask God that question. It's not okay to demand that you not go through it. Nevertheless, it's not my will. Because the kingdom's not about this world. It's not my will but it's okay to talk to God about it. I don't know where we got this idea that we can't, we can't have a conversation with the Lord. We can. It's just not okay to stop there and say, God, I will not go forward. God, I will not go through this. Based on my religion, my religion tells me that you should bless me only. You should bless me ever. Every time I go anywhere, I should be blessed. Where I put my feet, where I go, 
everything I do should be blessed. That's not okay. Because it's nevertheless not my will. That's my will. That's a little bit of the world in me and where I'm born and the system I'm in. And I haven't laid that down all the way. Jesus has laid it down. And he shows us as a man. It's okay to ask. But you've got to be submitted to the plan. God, is this the way? John the Baptist had to ask, Lord, are you the one? Should we search for another? I'm not doubting my faith in God. I'm not doubting my faith in you, but I just want to make sure. God allows that. He allows that. But what do we do with it? It's interesting that the Lord is ministered to by angels. Here you catch that? There's a strengthening of God. Now, I want to just talk just a minute here. I don't believe that necessarily it's the angels that come and minister to us. I don't know. I don't see into that realm. But I do know this, that the Spirit of God, that's our comforter. Who is the Spirit? It's, it's Him. This word strengthening, the first time I read this verse, I thought that God, that Jesus was so distraught that He needed comfort. And I saw this word strengthening as God strengthening Him in the moment. I thought the angels were strengthening Him to get through this night. Just, I know it's hurt, I know it's hard, but this word actually is preparation. See, the Lord's about to go through with this whole thing. The strength he needs is not to be comforted because this is hard. The strength is to go through the entire process. It's the whole process to come. And that ministry that God's going to do with us in these times is to give you the strength to go through the process. You see, it's not punishment. <laughs> it's process. And when you need strength, get on your knees. And when it gets hard, you pray more earnestly. The agony in the last verse that I read to you that Jesus went under, after he was strengthened, after the angel of the Lord ministered to him to make it through this process, the agony was even more intense. And the Lord himself prayed more earnestly. He didn't complain more. That's me. Sandy, be quiet. He didn't go to all the disciples and wake them up again. You find the end of this. More agony, closer to him. That's the only place you can get to. It's what gets you out of this world and into his. Because his kingdom's not of this world. If you're going to transition during times of agony, if you're going to make it through this thing, it'll be only in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It won't be on your own mind or your own ways. It won't be because you made great decisions. It's not about you. If it's about you, it's about this kingdom. And it's not. It's about him and his kingdom. Literally, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Jesus takes on flesh and walks it all the way through the cross, all the way through to the end of the process. May I propose to you that you're a living trust, that you have invested every part of your being into the Lord's keeping. Every dollar you make, every time and minute that you have to spend, everywhere you go, every person you meet, really in the long scheme of things, it's an investment into the kingdom of God. You're a living trust, and you put that into him, and he becomes the executor of your will. How that gets spent on the beneficiaries in your life, if you leave it up to him, it will come out right. Your children will get the best parts of you. Your legacy will be of Jesus, not of you. If you put everything into that living trust and then you give it to the Lord, 
I promise you he'll disperse it the way it should come. And your life is not about you, it's about him. And if you live it that way, everything you store up, Jesus said, store treasures where? In heaven. Everything you store up will be part of that living trust that God will disperse to those around you, those in your future. Boy, does he look after those coming. You want life for your grandkids, your great-grandkids? Deposit everything into the living trust that Jesus has right now. And don't leave anything behind. Who here wants to be whole in the Lord? It's impossible to be whole if there's any pieces left over in your possession. You know, there's people that want to come to God and be made whole. And if they give everything to him, he'll do it. You hold on to any piece. And I mean any piece. You know what those things are. Any part that you want to keep in this world, he can't make you whole because you didn't give him all the pieces. But God, I want to be, a, I want to be a, a living in your trust. I want to love you and faithful. I want to do all these things, but I'm not willing to give up my victimhood, my pain. I'm willing to give up my desire for money. I can go on and on and name everything. But there are pieces you've got to give all to him or you can't be made whole. I want to live trusting the Lord. On display is full trust by the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. In front of the world, Pastor, I don't have to cover this, so it'll make it even faster. Literally, in front of hundreds of thousands of people going in and out of Jerusalem, the Lord's crucified. It's a symbol now of victory over death. When our life is put on the cross, when our life is put on the daily cross, it becomes a symbol of your victory over death. To your children, those around you at work, those people you know, that's the symbol. Not about you, about the life and love of Jesus Christ who did die on the cross. And you got to put yours there or they'll never see it. Amen? God bless you. Pastor?